when you are really aligned with something, we don't ask about time. Why? Because we are fully here. So the, the escape of when somebody asks you, how long will I need to do shadow work? In the moment you answer it, you're part of the shadow. Today we bring you a beautiful conversation between Peter Levine, Thomas Hubel, and Zaya Benazzo entitled Healing Trauma and Spiritual Growth. Welcome to the Sounds of Sand, presented by Science and Non-Duality, offering dialogue on the bridge between science and spirituality. If you're ready to start the journey together, listen in now. Welcome to Science and Non-Duality. What is non-duality? The universal forces. It's the collective conscious. Being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy. Energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about. There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. Welcome back to The Sand Podcast, Episode 5. So thank you all again for your wonderful feedback and for listening to our episodes so far as we find our way in this new new medium of the podcast offering at Sand. To get in touch and to be a part of the conversation, you can head over to scienceandnonduality.com and click on Podcast. And from there, you can see our previous episodes and get in touch with us at podcast at scienceandnonduality.com. So today we bring you this memorable conversation from the SAND 18 conference with Peter Levine, the father of trauma therapy work, and Thomas Hubel, a spiritual teacher known for his work in integrating healing and collective trauma. And they discuss the relationships between healing trauma and spiritual growth. And one theme that repeats throughout this discussion is that we're all connected through the traumatization of the world in our collective consciousness. And that healing of this trauma is a way to return to a wholeness, a fullness of living together on this planet. And this talk was hosted by Sand and moderated by the co-founder of Sand, Zaya Benazzo. And in this episode, they discuss a number of interweaving topics, including bliss states, the holding of lightness and darkness, non-duality of existence, state and process awareness, a story about meeting Albert Einstein, Uh, the waves of trauma healing, free will, and collective trauma processing. And apologies, you'll hear a few audio issues. This was a live recording done on stage. So there's a little bit of time where the microphones get a little uh, staticky, a little crackly. So hopefully you can listen past that to the conversation, to the content of the conversation. And you'll also hear a Q&A from the audience at the end, which is a very insightful as always. A bit about the guests of today's conversation. Peter Levine is the founder and pioneer of somatic experiencing, and he has made it his life's work to continue the development of this practice. And he holds doctorates in both medical biophysics and psychology. And Peter's work 
led him to become a stress consultant for NASA during the development of the space shuttle. And you can find out more about him and Somatic Experiencing at their website, somaticexperiencing.com. And Thomas Hubel is a contemporary mystic, international spiritual teacher, and author of Healing Collective Trauma, a process for integrating our intergenerational and cultural wounds. And his work seeks to integrate the core insights of the great wisdom traditions with the discoveries of modern science. And Zaya Benazzo, as I said, is the moderator of this discussion, and she, of course, is the co-founder of Science and Non-Duality. And she's also a filmmaker, producer, and as we affectionately refer to her, the mother of sand. And now I present to you Healing Trauma and Spiritual Growth. So I just would like to begin by maybe each one of you uh, framing the conversation about the relationship between healing trauma and spiritual growth. How do they relate? How do they inform one another? How do they need one another? And any insights from your own yeah. uh, journey work? Okay. <laughs> um, there are a number of reasons why transforming traumatic experience opens certain doors, portals, to spiritual experience. And I think it's important also to note that that doesn't mean that is a spiritual path, but can open to spiritual path. And one reason is because of the energies that are involved with, uh, with uh, responding to threat especially life threat, are vast. If you think about uh, an, a, a, an impala being chased down by a, a cheetah on the Serengeti, and they're running at 65 miles an hour, and then in a moment the uh, impala falls to the ground as though it were dead, but it's not dead. This profound activation, this energy is still revving within the nervous system, within the body, within the organism. And in trauma, one of the things we do, and somebody left this here for me, which I really appreciate because I hadn't thought to bring it, but if we think about this vast energy and how it is collapsed in the moment when trauma takes over, when we're frozen, we can't open that energy too quickly because if we do, it's an explosion. And this is something that I've noticed, I've worked with a number of people who have had premature kundalini awakenings, where this energy mm -hmm. just gets opened too quickly, and the, the nervous system, the organism is unable to integrate it. But when we're able to titrate, to just open to this energy, one small amount at a time, we're able to shift these profound energies to those of openness, of oneness, of uh, uh, connection, of uh, compassion. And uh, so, uh, somebody wrote that music is what brings the world, unites the world. But I think also trauma also unites the world because nobody gets away, in this life at least, I don't know about any of the other ones, without having encounters with threat 
with perceived threat. And sometimes they, they seem like they're relatively small, but they can have, as I just started to discover when I was developing the work in the 70s, they can have profound effects on our behaviors. You were talking about this really beautifully because we see our environment through the traumatized mind. Mm -hmm. That's the filter mm -hmm. that we have. And until we're able to open to those energies, to those experiences, and allow them to move through in the body. Uh, also, a thing that you said a couple of times in your talk, I would just paraphrase it a little bit differently and say that ultimately trauma is a disorder of not being able to be in the here and now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, are there any, and there are any mountains without valleys. So when people experience um, these, these states, it's as though we, can, we have an opportunity to become aware of them because otherwise we don't know. We don't know that they're there, but it's in that contrast that allows us to say, oh, something is different here. Something has a different meaning now. Um, so, um, let's see, is there anything else I want to say? It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I say yes. <laughs> no, I completely agree. That's also my experience. And um, You said something very lovely. Um, you said, trauma is a way where we cannot be in the here and now. Because there's frozen past part of my here and now. And, and I don't know about you, but I meet many people that ask, okay, how long do I still need to do shadow or trauma work? How, no, how long will it take to wake up? And it's very interesting because that question has nothing to do with time. That question has only indicates that I don't want to be here. Did you ever notice that whenever you're really present, you don't ask how long it's going to take? <laughs> no, really. It, when you're really aligned with something, we don't ask about time. Why? Because we are fully here. So the, the escape of when somebody asks you, how long will I need to do shadow work? In the moment you answer it, you're part of the shadow. Because it's a signpost of not, it's not about time, it's about being here. And I think trauma, your work, really gave a lot of uh, new understanding and possibility that the trauma work is absolutely necessary for our spiritual path. Yeah. And especially because many meditation hours are actually hanging around in dissociated spaces. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we want, because in the dissociated space, we are not able to evolve our energy. Yeah. Our energy can only evolve when it's connected. When we are disconnected, we are, we are actually, there's no movement. Mm -hmm. And that's very important. And I think we, we more and more understand that, that grounding, and what does it mean grounding? Just opening up the parts of me that I'm not experiencing anymore consciously, and landing again in life is, the prerequisite for relation. And one of the, because we are not sitting in a cave in the Himalayan mountains, we are continuously relating. And relation is our social contemplation. 
You know, when the monk, I said this before in the workshop, when the monk has time to sit 10 hours a day, and we have time, maybe you sit one hour a day in the morning, there's a kind of an imbalance in flight hours. So we are not, we don't have enough practice time, but our daily experience is our practice time. So, because often our inappropriate relation creates a lot of trauma, so appropriate relation is the healing, and appropriate relation is one of the fundamental spiritual practices. So I think what I yeah. underline many yeah, things yeah. you say. Right. And, you know, in med very often, uh, people who are attracted to meditation um, have a lot of trauma in their background. Probably the people who, uh, who need meditation the most are the people who are successful in their business world and so forth. But those who generally are attracted to meditation are people who have a lot of trauma mm. from their history. And what happens, I think, in meditation when you have a lot of trauma, or significant trauma, a lot of trauma, trauma, uh, capital T or small t, uh, one way of avoiding dealing with the trauma is what I talked about in the counter vortex. So one goes into these beatific states, these bliss states, sometimes we call this the bliss bypass. So in working with trauma, we hold together, we must hold together the contraction and expansion, the light and the darkness, because it's not all light. It has to be held together. And I think, again, that's one of the gifts that trauma transformed can offer to us, that we really learn how to hold polarities as a way of experience, experiencing the non-duality of existence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, Thomas, because you're very unique, you're a spiritual teacher, and you're one of the very few teachers that actually works with trauma. We do have a history in the spiritual community of separating healing trauma from the spiritual path. And I'm curious, in your experience, when you work with your students, when you begin seeing symptoms, do you see symptoms of trauma? Or when we become more open and available to life from, through our spiritual practice, we begin to feel more also the places that we have disowned how do you work with that, How, with your students and um, mm -hmm. in, your, uh, in your work as a spiritual teacher? Yeah, basically, like as I understand the spiritual practice for us as people in culture, it's a mix between state practice and process practice. So we need state awareness to touch different states of consciousness but we also need process awareness. And process awareness means that my spiritual practice is not about Thomas. My spiritual practice is not about my life even. My spiritual practice is about something much bigger than my, my life, my lifetime. So we often say, if you, if you walk forever, you have time for this moment. If you don't walk forever, you are in a hurry. But when I am in a hurry, I don't relate to you because I'm already thinking what I should do afterwards. So I will not be here. And love cannot unfold when I cannot be here. So a state of presence means that I can be present in the current moment. So when, we, when 
when we say that um, spiritual practice is also coming into alignment with the fundamental principles of life. Mm. And this means also the trauma, our trauma is just a, a kind of a reverberation of so many other trauma uh, layers that are already in society, which means that we are dealing actually with the way, our ethical way of living. So the trauma healing is a coming back to a way of living where we really can create societies with less violence, with less wars, with yeah. many things that are less. And so the ethical part of our spiritual practice is as important as the state practice. And I think, so when, when we do, when we are in our groups, we see that the more we create coherent fields that are appropriately related, the fractures in the field become more obvious. So the trauma becomes more obvious through a, a, a deeper relational field and a deeper group presence. And so what we induce is a, is a lot of group presence that when one person speaks, many other people have the, the presence and the energy to really be there for that person. Mm -hmm. And that then all of us together are an amazing resource for healing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think as a, also what you say, Peter, that the, that the, it needs a step-by-step -step process. So we yeah. need to know how to walk in the right dose. And I think that's an art. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a, a really an artistic process that needs a lot of skill. And, and it needs a lot of attunement. So we learn how to use our nervous system in a, in a very precise way to track trauma fields in, in other people, especially the people that are professionals, and how we, how we relate to trauma layers on the layer of time space where they happened. Working with trauma is not something you learn in a weekend. If somebody says, I'm going to teach you how to work with trauma in a yes. weekend, be smart, go the other direction. You know, and the one other thing I think that in working this way, really working at the, the core of trauma, the essence of trauma, is that the person then says, is able to say, I'm alive. I'm alive and I'm real. I'm alive and I'm here. And that's, that's, that's it. That's yeah. right. And that's beautiful because a philosophical discussion with a dissociated or disembodied person about reality is dangerous. <laughs> we not talk in a disembodied, dissociated situation. We don't argue if reality is this or that or real or not. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the fundamental building blocks of reality, but not in a dissociated, uh, dissociated state. Because then, exactly what you said, then I don't have an experience of me being real in life. And my escape is asking questions about real, the nature of reality. Like this, I'm already part of your shadow. And I think we in the spiritual practice, we've, yeah. we need to be very aware what I invest my chi in. If I invest my life energy into your shadow, we are co-funding a shadow company. <laughs> like that's a startup. <laughs> and everything that we fund grows. So, a spiritual practice like conscious awareness is not about myself, it's also what do I support in culture and I can support your unconscious only when I'm unconscious. So conscious awareness and integration also means that I start to support health and not shadow. Because shadow in my understanding is not a personal thing, shadow is a, is a co-investment. Like my unconscious cannot keep on living when you 
don't support it, and vice versa. So conscious communities are actually invitations to grow. And I think the trauma work is a very important aspect of, of, of that growth. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe I take off a little bit on the culture. Yes. And uh, how prevalent it is, not only in the individual, in the family, in the community, in the society, in the culture, in the world. And one of the... Well, I probably can say that here without thinking that somebody's going to want to put me on psychiatric medication. <laughs> but when I was developing my work in the 1970s, I had a, a really profound experience in um, the restaurant that I used to love to go to on San Pablo Avenue in Berkeley. And it's called The Beggar's Banquet. And I would sit down there and I would have my usual soup to start with. And uh, so it was a table, my chair and then the other chair on the other side. And I, oh, I felt a presence and I looked up and there was an old man uh, with really crazy hair looking at me. I looked at him and it was Albert Einstein. What? <laughs> so, so again, Berkeley, 60s, 70s, no. No, I was on the straight and narrow working on developing this and, and um, uh, but this went on for some time. And it wasn't, you know, it's not like an act of imagination. It wasn't like that. And it wasn't a hallucination. It was it was real, it felt absolutely real, and I knew, of course, that in some level this was an inner image, but it wasn't. Anyhow, we spent many time, well, to give you an idea, um, usually uh, when he would be sitting there, uh, I would order uh, two soups. <laughs> and. Um, and then the, the waitress would say something like, Peter, uh, why don't you finish this soup and then we'll bring you the next soup so it doesn't get cold. And I said, no, 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 I need two soups right now. <laughs> so we, we had many, many discussions and I actually li later found out why this came to me at this time. That in itself is a whole other story. But um, one of the questions that I asked him was about this, about how trauma pervades mm -hmm. societies, how it goes from generation to generation to generation. And um, I, asked his, I asked his help. So he, in the image, uh, took me to a small pond and he had a, a meter stick, a yardstick, and he had put a series of pebbles along the uh, the yardstick, and he held the yardstick like this, and then turned it, and then of course for each pebble there would be a wave, and the waves would uh, overlap, and they would just continue out to, you know, infinity, more or less. And, and he said that's, that's how the energy is supposed to be transmitted through the generations, mm -hmm. from the ancestors. Mm -hmm. Didn't use exactly that word. He said, now what happens here 
and where two of the waves overlap, he said, it gets stuck. Yeah. It's a fixation. And from that point on, everything else is distorted because it's unable to mm -hmm. move through. And, and I said, okay, but I, I still don't get, ah, okay, I get it. To find out some of those places where the energy stuck, and it doesn't matter if you think of it coming from this life or other lifetimes or whatever, the wave pattern is there. And when you're able to get there and unhook this, he called them ego points. I call them fixation or trauma points. When you're able to open enough of those, then the forward movement of the wave reconstitutes itself and moves on. Yeah. So this was a really, for me, a very deep beautiful, learning. Beautiful metaphor, yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that could be, that's a beautiful image for when we talk about collective trauma. And we have learned a lot about individual trauma, but I'm curious about your work with collective trauma and how do we even begin to address it since we're embedded in a society that is fragmented by intergenerational trauma. We are like a fish swimming in a sea of, um, of fragmentation. So how do we become, become aware and how to prevent perpetuating this um, intergenerational right. pain you, that we carry? When you say where, I would say anywhere. Yes. Anywhere you can. If it's with a neighbor, a friend, somebody who's begging for money on the street. If any place we're able to just a little bit open this, then the wave continues anywhere, where, anywhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how? Well, <laughs> you want the 37-minute version or 37-hour version? Uh, because it plays out you know, in the inner body experience, whether it's in the body of one person or in a collective body, mm. um, one thing that uh, um, my colleagues and I worked on some time ago, colleagues from Norway, they have a uh, school, LBR Beta, has a school called Pinocchio. And uh, um, I was doing some work in the Middle East, and we wanted to try to find some way that we could begin to help heal this collective trauma for that, for that region. And we worked on a, 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 a protocol where mothers from both Israeli and Palestinian would be there, and with their, with their children, with their babies, and using music and rattles, rhythm is so important. And you can see at the beginning, the children, of course, are awake, alert, looking, uh, excited, uh, wanting to take an instrument and make some noise on it. And then you could see the parents then connecting with the babies and the babies connecting with each other, with the other 
mother. So there is, one, again, one place where you just open something and just let the ripple do the healing, let the outer movement do the healing. And when anybody, any person heals, I think this is something you really said very elegantly, every time anyone makes this shift, the shift affects everyone else. It's and it's a matter of exponential growth. You know, you do one here and another mm -hmm. here and another here, and then the wave moves out, the wave moves out. Beautiful, yeah, very beautiful. And I love this fixation because, as I said before, that we did a lot of work in Germany, also Germany, Israel, mm -hmm. and one thing is, strikes me that unconscious trauma energy is destiny. Destiny is unconscious energy has no choice. Mm. Mm. Putting people into concentration camps mm. and killing them, that choice has been made already, but it's not finished. So unconscious energy is destiny, like an unconscious energy runs me because I'm not aware of it. So I will make, take decisions or do things that are, or be addicted to something that is, that is not in my control. So we say in the mystical understanding, unconscious energy is destiny. There is no free choice. Free choice comes through consciousness. Consciousness allows new possibilities to come in. So in our understanding, the past is not what happened yesterday. The past is yeah. what state of what happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. When people go to exams at the university or they need to take a serious business decision and they say they are afraid, we culturally agree that people are afraid when they take exams, where in fact the fear has nothing to do with the exam. The fear has something to do with the person's past. Mm -hmm. And the fear might reduce my capacity to take decisions or act freely in this moment. But my, my past overshadows my moment. Mm -hmm. And that means that the past is only what is left and affects my moment through body sensations, emotions and thoughts that have nothing to do with this moment. Mm -hmm. And the future is not what happens tomorrow, the future is the download of higher consciousness that changes my today. In other words, the update of myself today. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, and I like that the, the update, this block, our innovation capacity is reduced, the more energy is held in these fixations of the past. And that's why I believe also here, here in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, everything that happened here consciousness-wise has something to say about the innovation that happens here. That a consciousness development allows more future to take place. When the future is not what happens, to, because many, for many, maybe many intimate relationship arguments that you had, you had one year ago, maybe two years ago, and you have it still. That's not the future, that's the repetition of the past. So past has a cycle to repeat itself until it's conscious. And so when we take this seriously and, and, and transfer it now to a collective dimension, it means all the energy that is still frozen in our yeah. collective, collective unconscious, being it because of slavery and atrocities and racism, being it because of the Holocaust and, and other dictatorships and wars, that seriously affects our choices. Because that's destiny. That's the destiny of humanity, not the free choice. Yeah. And we think we have so much free choice. I mean, first of all, it's good to ask what it's free of. And secondly, it's, it's, it's kind of 
That's not true. Many people that suffer from addictions show that it's, you don't have a free choice to take the next cigarette or not, often. And so I believe that that's uh, an important understanding so that, that there is something in our culture that lives between us that is in here, these fixations and these ripples, they are here in the room sitting here without us noticing it. So the air in between us is not only air, but it's a lot of information that doesn't arise in my awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing, because you ask what we can do, is we can create this kind of environments where through deep relation and meaningful attention and presence, we create a very present field that allows us to work on this. Whenever we, we did, we ran a lot of collective trauma processes, and one thing that is always the same is there's a moment when there is a wave of energy coming into the room that is not part of our, our personal experience, but everybody in the room knows now something has happened. It, it's so strongly to feel that, because in, in collectively traumatized cultures, it's, it's mostly that not I'm traumatized and you are all stable, I'm traumatized and you are also unstable. A major resource is not in the room. So, and that, I believe, leads to not only an individual trauma regulation, but to a, a social trauma regulation. If now, all the, if now that social trauma regulation would stop, many people in Germany would be psychotic. Or many people here in this room. But there's so much energy that is held down because it's better for life to do it that way than in another way. So trauma actually is a very intelligent function. And I think, I think we are here to develop, especially people that have already a lot of personal development, to develop new tools to deal with the collective chunk of our past. Because m most, uh, a lot of it, we did to ourselves as humanity. And so I think that's exciting how, because that's a, a jungle I think that is un unresearched and un, uh, for the most of it unexperienced. Mm -hmm. There's something new waiting for us, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I would just summarize it that uh, unconscious energy, destiny, f fixity is destiny. Mm -hmm. it, it's fixed. It's fixed. There's no other way like a, a, a machine. It, right. it just will continue right. and continue and yeah. continue. But then when we're able to move from fixity to flow, right. then it's not a matter of destiny, it's the matter of informed choice. That's right. Mm -hmm. and, um, and again, I think when people meet together in conferences like this, or meetings, I wouldn't call this a conference, I would call it a meeting, um, it's for that reason, it's to, and, you brought up the interpersonal part of it as mm -hmm. being very important mm -hmm. because, again, trauma is about broken connection. That's right. Broken connection, broken connection to self, broken connection to other, broken connection to spirit. Right. So at whatever, at any of those levels, we're able to move more out of the fixity into the flow, mm -hmm. into the reconnection, into the new connections. Again, then we're just opening up one more area of the fixation and allowing the energy to come flowing. Yeah. And, and it's, you say it exactly is true. 
when you're in this in a room and something shifts, because I started working in Germany around 1981, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and nobody would go anywhere near, you know, anything having to do with the, with the Holocaust. Right. Um, but then when people started to heal, I don't remember one person whose, uh, whose father was in the, uh, was in the SS, mm -hmm. worked to heal. And then that immediately brought up one uh, person who, whose uh, father, parents were in the resistance. But then they shared, it's the same trauma. Mm -hmm. And then that was when the wave went through the room. That's so, that's so beautiful. And you said something very beautiful before that I want to highlight. You said, trauma connects us. And it's like paradox. I also, because I live at the moment in the Middle East, there's so much collective trauma. And it's what divides us the most, yeah. and it's what connects us the most. That's very important. Trauma connects us, because trauma is painful all over the world, and the same response is painful all over the world. The same trauma response is happening all over the world. And I think that's an important thing. We are connected through the traumatization of the world. That's an interesting thing to think about. And also, what we said before, that they, if we want to, what you said before, that we want to be alive, we want to be mm -hmm. participating in, in life's process, and that flow experience comes with the release of energy. And so when, if we want to live up to our potential, so then trauma work is, is crucial. Yeah. Because it's a data flow through us, and it's a data, there's a transgenerational data flow through us. So we talk a lot about data and technology, but the data is flowing also through us. This is also technology in a way, biocomputer. And, and, and what Charles uh, Eisenstein said uh, this today, I really like that because I believe because of trauma and collective trauma, there is the notion as if people were on the planet. Yeah. And that my body, the water here and the carbon here is animated planet. That's not on the planet, that is planet alive. So all the, what I said in the morning, it, it's so amazing to think about that the few generations that are alive right now hold the pearls of all the development that ever happened before. It's alive through electricity running through this nervous system and animating that creation for us. And we, as all the, the kids up to the oldest people in this world, hold the, the gem of life. That's, this is us. This is everybody who is alive, lives that gem. And I think that, uh, that what all you brought um, helps us to more and more understand which parts of us are actually illuminated and which parts are not. And I think if we talk about a serious spiritual practice, then we cannot bypass that, because it means that we awaken, like Christ. When Christ woke up, the, the real resurrection of Christ, and the, the day that the dead will rise, that's when the light will illuminate every life ever lived until this moment. So that when the conscious awareness will touch every life, because every life that has ever lived until now sits here in the room. Mm -hmm. 
it lives in us. The planet, the plants, the, everything lives here. There's no separation. And I think trauma gives the illusion of the separation, but it's, yeah. and that's, I think. Uh, and I, I have awakening. one more question, and then I would like to take some questions from the audience. For you, Peter, uh, from your experience, like, I hear often people fixate in resolving trauma as something that if I do something, finally I'll resolve it. And I would like if you could speak more as trauma as a relationship, as building intimacy, or as a process that... Um, yeah, I mean, I talk about state and process. I mean, this is the process of becoming more alive and more embodied. Mm -hmm. And that's... A life, at minimum of a life's work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And are there cycles in the healing of trauma? Are there uh, dimensions or patterns that you recognize as we heal that we encounter? Well, I think so. I mean, in other words, somebody you know, who's stuck in the fixity, the grip of trauma, um, everywhere they look, they're banging into their trauma. Every person they meet, they're banging into the trauma. Every relationship, they're banging into the trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but then as you work on it for a while, you know, oh, you kind of rub up against the trauma, but you move along, mm -hmm. and it gets smoother. I mean, you think about it, the trauma at first is like a, 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 a sharp piece of wood. And as you learn to move through it, then the wood becomes more like a surface, like a round surface. So instead of getting caught on it, you just rub against it and move through. Do you have any, from your experience, anything you... The oh, way, I love the, the image. The nice. image, yeah. And also in the collective, as you work with large group of people, is there a pattern you see in the healing, or...? Yeah, I think, like, the first question is not where will I get, but how do I walk? Mm. And I think in the unraveling of human life, we see that every step opens up new possibilities, and most probably the more we unlock, the more help we get. Because the future is all the time available for us as a resource. So this means the more we, I think, the more fixations we open, the more resourced, I believe, we become, if we don't hurt each other <laughs> again. But, and I think that's a beautiful process, so I think it's more about the walking, especially with the collective fields, they are so vast and big, it's not so easy to say, okay, we do this and then that will happen. Complex fields don't work that way. But I think we can find out more and more how skillful we can be. And I think one element like on Mount Sinai even, the voice of God spoke. Everybody felt as if the voice spoke personally to him or her. That's a very powerful metaphor. This means the most universal consciousness, the divine, is actually manifested in the most specific. There's a beauty to the most specific. We are not trying to get into a soup of something. The highlighting of the most unique is part of the most universal. And that's why I think precision in relation, relation and precise relation, like a tuned relation, is actually one of the most powerful tools to, to do what Peter said.
So I think it's about us to develop our relational capacities enough that we create a, an environment for healing, because healing is usually about the environment that we create. Beautiful, mm -hmm. thank you. All right. So, uh, very short questions. Yeah, if sure. You make it, uh, because uh, very if I don't look at the trauma, trauma doesn't look at me. Trauma can be my security, my reason to live. Maybe the connection, unconscious connection with my mother, or it is the mask which hides the inner conflicts yeah. at the same time. It serves as a protection against the psychic wounds which are repressed in unconscious basement. So if the person is not ready to give up his trauma, maybe it's reason to live how you work with th that person. Thank you. Thank you. Fine. Um, <laughs> somebody asked a question like that, and, and my response was, um, um, to, heal, to heal, transform trauma, that's easy. For the personality to change, that takes a lifetime. <laughs> Here is the thing. Thomas, you may remember me. I'm Jean Houston. Of course. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, who is that woman? Who is that woman? I know her. I know her. Uh, that's your, uh, Thomas, you remember it was five or six years ago yeah. at one of your huge meetings. Yeah, right. And you asked me to do something to lift the collective guilt, the collective trauma of guilt that so many people still held from what happened in World War II and before. And you may recall that I created a ritual of transition because what ritual does is it illumines our transitions. And people claim that they felt better. I'm not sure that they did, but I got a lot of mail from that. And I'm going to ask you about that, that ritual as a collective event in which, a, a universal event, in which people are they, are, they are raised using music and art and dance and words and evocations and quickenings, and they are raised to a place where collectively they cross over to the next stage or to a level of freedom. Right. Did you find that to be true? Remember when we did this? Okay, yeah. So here's my take on it. I think ritual is an amazing way to create group coherence through music, through all kinds of... So we create coherence, which means like our nervous systems and our bodies and our whatever, all our minds start to get into a kind of a mutual field vibration. And I think that's very helpful. The other thing is, I, my understanding so far of healing is that healing needs precision. And some rituals can be very, create very lovely spaces where people feel good, but without the right precision, it's not gonna have a sustainable change effect. So I would say a ritual with precision is an amazing thing to do. And I think also when we come together here, and like now, there's a lot of group presence here in the room, and I think if we, if we learn how to use this more and more as a resource, and we are precise with what we address with it in life, it's like, like a, a, a music instrument. It's like when you come and you play in an orchestra, if you don't tune your instrument, it's gonna sound a bit weird. But if, if everybody has a tuned instrument, it's gonna sound great. And I think our job is to, to see if we do larger rituals to 
also attune them precisely and see what we can do with it and maybe what not. So that's how I would look at it. What's the answer, apart from the obvious as to when I'm ready, what's, uh, why does it take so long to remember nonverbal trauma? Okay. Um, when we use the word memory, uh, most of us use it in a very narrow way. And, and psychologists who, you know, are in an academic profession, uh, learn about memory as being conscious, as being something you can recall deliberately. But the types of memory that are involved in trauma uh, have nothing to do with that. They, they cannot be remembered any, in any sense the way a declarative memory is remembered. They're remembered in the body. These are so-called procedural memories. This was the reason I wrote the book Trauma and Memory, because there's so much confusion and so much misunderstanding of what it means to have a memory. We all are remembering everything that's ever happened to us and probably everything that's ever happened to us generations. But we remember it not as memories as we normally think of it, but of reaction patterns in our body and emotions that just erupt seemingly out of nowhere. And it's important in working with trauma is to know how to meet and bring those types of unconscious memories into greater and greater consciousness. And then they can begin to be formed into a narrative, which is also important in healing. Narrative is similar to ritual, I think many ways we're able to make sense because we are meaning creatures we're meaning animals so we do need that but that can only occur after we've been able to access these these procedural and emotional memories and begin to put them in the past where they belong but first you have to become aware that there was such a thing as traumatic experience before no. verbal no no because as soon as you begin, if somebody knows how to help you track what's going on, you will come to that trauma memory. It may take five minutes, it may take 50 minutes, but usually not more than that. And it, you, be, you begin to be able to access them. It took me 60 years. Yeah. But, well, maybe it take, can take 60 years. <laughs> But I don't think so. I mean, if, if the person really has the skill to help guide you, that most people come to them quickly. And people have asked, well, what if you, if somebody, you know, I mean, you, people like here, you all are interested in awareness, and so you can easily do that. I haven't found that necessarily be the case. And one of the things that I've done is I've, li I've lived in different areas where I've worked with cowboys, Indians, truck drivers, everyone and I've never found somebody who wasn't able to connect to those currents and to be able to access the energies that are locked in those body memories. So I have a question about the somatizing of trauma and noticing how the body responds and is it 
actually a personal or a transpersonal experience? How to discern if it's tapping into the collective trauma or is it a personal experience when there's no cognitive awareness of it? I don't think it really matters. I mean, that would be the, the quick answer. Uh, you know, the person asked, do I have to have a memory? Again, similar to work on it. I said, no, you have to have some kind of a symptom. Everybody has a symptom. Everybody has a behavior. Everybody has a haunting. That's all you need. Yeah, I agree with this. And also, like, in the, let's say, in my understanding of, of healing, I'd always start with the most close to you. So even if there is an entanglement with a collective issue, I would start first, as, as Peter said, with your symptoms. Because the symptoms guide us. Like, the skill, the art of healing is that we are not blinded by the symptoms and we, we are pretty fast in tracking where they come from. So if, if that's the case, healing, like, like as when you grow, yeah, your innermost intimacy is your central nervous system, like your self-contact. So when, you, when you're in connection with yourself, then from there you, you grow and, and create bigger and bigger circles of radius of relation. And the healing is when somebody starts to say, do I feel the, my pain or the pain of the world or the pain of all the women mm -hmm. or the pain of... First, let's start with your pain. And when we are there, let's go to a bigger cycle, but not the other way around. Because usually this creates a lot of confusion and then people bypass their own difficulties yeah. through dealing with the collective. That's not the collective work That's that we right. want to do. We want to first yep. start here and then when this is more stable, then to reach out and become aware of a bigger radius of, we call this radiuses of intimacy. Then I can really consciously yep. experience more of the world in me. But there's a lot of confusion sometimes. People go too fast to collective issues mm. and then they're completely confused because we lose track of the energy. And I, I agree with what Peter said. When you're like being on track with a client is that you're surfing on the energy of the moment and the energy always tells you the truth. Energy never lies because we are not caught up in interpreting the energy. We are looking how it flows. And that's why that's the best tracker to... Um, to unravel the question between individual and collective issues, I believe. Yeah. That is an important question, it really is. Because there's a lot of emphasis on working directly with this, all of this generational without having the foundation of working with one's own issues because they're more tangible, the more accessible. And, but then they give you tools to work with other types of mm -hmm generational right what i found though is that sometimes it seems that the individual trauma healing process seems to stop and it's entangled in the ancestral system so sometimes we need from a certain stage to include a bigger system that helps us to induce the energy flow here more so that's also something but that's that's already more complex then but sometimes, like when, when people were traumatized in the Second World War, the parents, there was a lot of sexual violence. Or, so then that has an effect sometimes on the person that sits here, like for my direction. But maybe that's too complex to discuss now. Thank you. Hi. Hello. 
Do you want to stand up so we can see? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I, I um, one one observation I was making in reflection on what you were saying about the impala and the cheetah is that um, I know the impala has never heard a message in of internalizing that it's not supposed to be as alive as it actually is. It just is as alive as it naturally is, and so it can quickly spring back to its full aliveness. That's right. And, um, and, and I think that we've also heard songs like you've got to live your, you've got to hide your love away. And it, I'm, so the question is, if there is a center within us that where all of our aliveness springs from and all of our loving essence springs from, in your experience, if we can use meditative practices to tap into that center and then use radiance or reverberation from that center to allow us to actually reverberate through those layers of rigidity and contraction, does that in and of itself have the power to dissolve some of those um, impingements and while it may not be everything we need to be de-traumatized, in, in your experience, does that work as a path? Because in my experience, I, I find that a lot of meditative practices take us into that center and allow us to have a brief taste of that, of that experience of total love or total aliveness. And, but they don't necessarily allow us to actually bring those energies all the way through our system. And they just pop us right back out into the yeah. ordinary world of yeah. contraction and rigidity. Right. So I'm curious. Okay. Um, you know, trauma is primordial. It's primordial. And I think the key is in being able to feel those sensations and no. uh, emotions as gently as possible. And the trick there is to be able to have the frontal parts of our brain, the more elaborative parts, the frontal, frontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex, the medial part of the prefrontal cortex online. And that part of the cortex receives its information from the senses particularly the senses coming from within the body. So embodiment is really, it's an iterative process, but what it does at each iteration is allows us to have enough distance, not to dissociate from them, not to suppress them, to deny them, but to be able to hold them together, the most primitive and the most conscious and elaborative, to be able to hold them together with the observing presence. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to Zaya, Thomas, Peter, and the staff at Sand 18 for the recording of this talk. And thank you all for listening to the Sand podcast. We invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos, articles, events, and offerings through our website, scienceandnonduality.com. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of SAN content available exclusively to SAN members. And we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify, and share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings. Be
well. <laughs>